today we're going to be talking about Mary. So in the scriptures, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 1, and that's where we're going to be. If you're watching online, let me just tell you, thank you for doing that. Uh, Pastor Kenneth is probably watching online. Most of us know that he had surgery last Monday, and um, it's been a tough week for him. Uh, He had surgery on his shoulder. They moved his lounger upstairs. He's been trying to sleep in in that lounger, kind of up, not moving. It's been uncomfortable, a lot of pain. So Kenneth, I want you to know we're praying for you. I know you're watching today. And we also have folks watching around the world. I have my son who plays basketball, is on the other side of the world. So shout out to Jordan. Jordan, we love you and we miss you. And uh, we'll see you in about six months. (laughs) Amen. Luke chapter 1. I don't know about you, but I love this. Christmas has so many great memories for all of us. I know that sometimes those memories can get difficult because we begin to lose loved ones as we get older. But when I was a child, I loved growing up with Christmas. I grew up in Indiana. We had snow. We lived in a town of a thousand called Francisville. And, and so there was farmlands everywhere, it was flat, and out our back door, my dad and his brother, they made an ice rink out of the cornfields, they just put, put water in it overnight, and all of a sudden we had an ice rink. I can remember getting up in the middle of the night because I heard my, my dad and my uncle in the living room playing with my toys, so I'd get up and I'd see them with the race car track, just having the best time, I couldn't wait For me, many of y'all will remember as well, you're old enough to remember, remember the Christmas, I mean the Sears Christmas catalog? Oh, how I miss that. I'd buy that if it came back out. I'm not even sure Sears even exists anymore, but I wore those pages out. I mean, I wore them out. Christmas has so many great memories for me and our family, and I know it does for you. And this anticipation for Christmas, for us, kind of begins at Thanksgiving, right? You have Thanksgiving, the trees come out, they're for sale. By the way, there's a $10 tree on the other side of there, which I should have bought. They come out for sale, you have the Thanksgiving meal, and then all of a sudden, it's downhill to Christmas. It goes fast. Black Friday is next, right? The Mecca shopping day for all you crazy ladies. Cyber Monday comes next. And by the way, Cyber Monday is actually every day now. Then you begin to get out the Christmas decorations. And how many, and and I don't know about you, but there's a lot of folks in our neighborhood who pay somebody to put up their Christmas decorations. I mean, who knew that could become a business? You put up the tree and you find out that half of last year's lights don't work anymore. Then you begin to see the gifts go under the tree. You're going to church on Christmas Eve and you light the candles. Our family, we read the Christmas story on Christmas Eve before going to bed with our kids. And then we wake up real early in the morning, more earlier than we should, right? When the kids come wake us up to open by all the gifts. And I think about those memories and the traditions that we always have. And we come to Scripture, we come to the book of Luke, and we see this beautiful picture of this first Christmas through the eyes 
of Mary. Mary, did you know? And I wonder what she thought during this time. And if you're in Luke chapter 1, I'm going to read that story for you in a second. But if you go to Luke chapter 2, you can see that at the end of that holiday season for Mary, if you go to verse 19, you're going to see all this commotion had taken place. And it'd be like us in January, maybe January 1st, you've, you've settled down and you're looking back on all the things that just transpired. And this is what it says. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. She didn't want to forget, right? She didn't want to forget all the things that had just taken place. And I can only imagine that over the next 33 years of the life of Christ, she went back to those days of Jesus being born in a manger. So what kind of memories maybe did Mary have as she looked back? So I want to begin reading in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. And let me just kind of preface what's taking place. The angel Gabriel had already went and, and saw Elizabeth and, and Zachariah and, and, and told Zachariah that his wife, who was older in age, was going to have a baby. And they were going to name his name John. He was going to be John. And then we come to verse 26 of chapter 1. It says, in the sixth month, so Elizabeth now has been, been pregnant for six months, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel came to her and said, Rejoice, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary asked the angel, how can this be, since I have not been intimate with a man? And the angel re replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will over overshadow you. Therefore, because of this, Mary, because of this, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for her who is called childless. Verse 37. For nothing will be impossible with God. I am the Lord's slave, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. What an amazing sequence of events that took place at Mary's home before Jesus was born. I think about this, and I think about the world in which we live and we know that our world is crazy, right? It is messed up. And we gather together on Sunday mornings like-minded and like-heart because we have Jesus as our Savior and Lord. And I want you to know, 
As we get older, the rest of the world begins to look at that as kind of strange. We have something inside of us that was born some 2,000 years ago in the person of Jesus. So here's Mary. She's troubled. She's anxious. And she knows that what's going to take place next is going to be really, really hard. Because we know in Matthew chapter 1, we see this picture when this happens that when Joseph finds out about this, that, that he didn't quite understand yet, and he wanted to secretly divorce Mary because he didn't want to be part of something like this until it was revealed to him. So when we think about the hope of this world, we think about the chaos that's here, for me, this angel brought a gift to Mary, and that gift is for us as well. There's four truths that Gabriel's message here of hope for Mary, and it's also four truths for us today. Here's truth number one. Truth number one is that the Lord is for you and he is with you. The Lord is for you and he is with you. And for Mary and for us, it should provide assurance within our lives. There in Luke chapter one, verse 28, Gabriel said, rejoice favored woman, the Lord is with you. Then the angel also told him, verse 30, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. That word favored in the Greek language literally means that God had granted Mary this special grace. Grace that was going to be there for her as she endured, as she went through what she was going to go through for the next 33 years. And that word, that phrase, with you, is a picture of God going behind you and in front of you and beside you. In other words, Mary, you're going to be surrounded by his presence at all times. At all times. I can only imagine that at the end of the 33 years of her son's life, Mary looked at the cross and remembered those words that I will be with you, Mary. Because God was with her, Mary knew that God had a plan. In verse 34, Mary asked the angel, he, she says, how can this be since I have not been intimate with a man? And Gabriel responded with this, listen, this is how it's going to work. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. God had a plan, Mary. We have a plan for this. And it had to bring comfort knowing that God had a plan. And I would say the same thing for us today. There is so much uncertainty in our world, within our families, within our workplaces. We need to be assured that in our lives, God has a plan. In Jeremiah chapter 29, we know this verse says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare or goodness and not for evil to give you a future and hope in psalm 16 he says you reveal the path of life to me and your present is abundant joy in your right hand are eternal pleasures i don't know what anyone is going through today well i shouldn't say that i know what some people are going through today i know that we have marriages that are in trouble i know that we have family with kids who are rebellious and it's been difficult, a difficult season of life. I know that we have families in our church who are without during this time of year 
and need assistance. I know that we have families who have dealt with death during this past season. And I want us all to know that in the midst of all of that, God has a plan for your life. And because he was with her, Mary knew that God had a plan, and Mary also knew that God was enough. That God was enough. Mary's response to Gabriel after his explanation is absolutely priceless. So just think for a moment. You're in this room, and this angel comes before you, and the angel gives you this message, right, ladies? Gives you this message. My first response, if I was a lady, was like, on, okay, I don't know where you came from. I do know a little bit about life, even though I haven't had a child. What's going on? But we know that wasn't Mary's response. The angel explained it to her, and I love her response in verse 38. This is what she says. I'm the Lord's slave. May it be done to me according to your word. Basically, Mary said, yeah, whatever you said, it's okay. I'm good. Let's get this party started. Because God was with her. Because she was favored by God. She knew that God was enough in the plan. And we have to understand that, yes, I may believe that God has a plan for my life, but do I truly believe that God will be enough through that plan? Isaiah 43 God says, do not fear, for I am with you. In Isaiah 43, verse 11, he says, I, I am Yahweh, and there, are no, there is no other Savior but me. In Philippians 4, 19, Paul writes, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Mary knew that God was enough. How about us? Do we believe in our heart that God is enough? Or do we feel sometimes that, yes, I'm a follower of God, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and yes, I believe that God has a plan, but I add things to it, that God isn't quite enough in my life? I want us all to know today that if the Lord is for you and the Lord is with you, that God is enough. It's enough. And I also know that during this time of year, those who have lost loved ones, and I put my family in that category with my wife's mother, these times are hard, right? We have memories of what Christmas used to be like with those loved ones around us. And I want all of you to know who have gone through that hardship this season, I want you to know that God will be enough in your life. That grace that he supplies will be enough this holiday season. So the first message of hope was that Lord, the Lord was for you and the Lord is with you. Here's the second message of that hope. He said his name is Jesus. That name Jesus provides reverence in our life. Verse 31 says, now listen, Mary, you'll conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call his name Jesus. That name Jesus was derived from a, a Hebrew root meaning that the Lord is salvation. Matthew 1.21 says it this way. 
She will give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That Greek phrase, he will save, it emphasizes the he, that he and he alone will do this. And by the way, this is why we preach Jesus. Okay? It's him and him alone. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. That's why we're preaching. You know, in the, right after this service, we're going to have a Discover Westwood class right over there. And those who want to join our church as part of our prerequisite, excuse me, <clears throat> because we want you to know what our church is about and what we stand for. I also want you to know that that class, we've had more people get saved in that class than any other venue. Because it's not membership that counts in heaven, y'all. It's do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Because of his name, that's what's important. Look what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 11. This is what he says. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, who... Existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, and of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I would imagine that years after Jesus' death, that Mary would reflect on this name of Jesus, this powerful name of Jesus. We find hope in the name of Jesus because, first of all, there is an assurance of my debt being paid in full. If you don't know Jesus today, and you're going, why should I accept him as my Lord and Savior? It's because he paid your debt, and he paid it in full. 1 Peter 2, verse 24, says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. You have been healed by his wounds. It's nothing that you and I can do for salvation. It is a gift of grace that he has given us. 1 Corinthians six twenty says, You were bought at a price. You know what that price was? It was death on a cross. It was death on a cross. We have this assurance of my debt being paid in full, but there's also an assurance of this everlasting life. You and I, we never have to fear death. We don't have to fear death anymore. John 14, 3, he's telling his disciples this, and he says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. I have this assurance of everlasting life in my, in my heart 
because of what Jesus did. He paid our debt in full. The powerful name of Jesus provides hope for a lost and dying world. Here's number three. As Gabriel was sharing this message of hope with Mary, he says, hey, Mary, the Lord is for you and he is with you. And I want you to know his name is going to be called Jesus and he will save the world. And then he said this, and his kingdom will never, ever end. Look at Luke 1, verse 33. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will never end. In Daniel 7, Daniel prophesied this, and he said, And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Y'all, we have a lot to be thankful for and to rejoice over, right? Because my Savior has a kingdom that will never end. Jesus is speaking to his disciples in Matthew 19. And he says these words, and I love this, because there's power in this. Jesus said to them, I assure you, disciples, who have followed me, who has gone through hardship, and by the way, you're all gonna die a difficult death. I assure you, in the messianic age, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, brothers or sisters, father or mother, children or fields because of my name will receive 100 times more and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Have hope, right? His kingdom will never end you win isn't that great you win I, I, I don't know who it was um, who shared this but somebody from this pulpit did I don't know years ago and they said if you ever if you knew the outcome of your favorite team all right so yesterday if you were watching the game and before the game you knew what the outcome was wouldn't it be easier to watch I mean, it wouldn't be so difficult getting up and going to the, in the kitchen getting something to eat, right? You knew the outcome. We know the outcome. We win. You know, the odds were a zillion to one against the two thieves and Jesus on the cross. A zillion to one. They had no chance of surviving the cross, right? None. Zero. They were going to die that day on Calvary. But it didn't all happen that way. Because that day, one of the thieves on the cross said, Hey, Jesus, will you remember me today in paradise? When this is all over, when we die, would you remember me because I put my trust in you? And Jesus said what? Yeah, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. You win. You may die today, but you win. You've got eternal life. Man, my team never, ever has to lose again. You know, I, I love to win. By the way, those who really know me know that I'm super competitive. I just am. 
So when my kids were little and we were playing basketball on the court, it wasn't, you know, Linda, she would, she would say, hey, let them win. I'm like, going, hey, no way. <laughs> you know, when they were like seven or eight, they'd go up for a shot, and I would just swat it into the fourth bleacher row. I would just <laughs> let her rip. And I know Jordan's probably watching, and I can remember him as a little middle school kid, and we were at the, at the gym over in Vestavia, and we were playing one-on-one, and he thought it was hot stuff. I mean, he really did. Now, he's better than I ever was, right, today, today, not then. <laughs> and we played the 10, and I looked at him before we started playing. I said, Jordan, you're not going to score. Well, he looked at me and kind of went, oh, really? Come on, Dad. And listen, he won't admit it, Jordan. I know you won't admit it, but he was crying <laughs> at the end of that. He was so mad. I liked the win. We were playing Yahtzee over Thanksgiving with Linda's family who was there, and there was one of the Yahtzee cards, and it says at the very top of the Yahtzee little thing you fill out, it'll give you, like, your name, right? Well, we had already played a few rounds, and they have these rows so you can play many games, and and I'd already won, and this is who knows how long ago. And I put in the name, Colin, winner. <laughs> and so one of my nephews was handing out the cards. And he saw the, the, the card that had winner on the name. And he goes, well, this must be Uncle, Uncle Rick's. <laughs> I said, yes, that's mine. And guess who won the Yahtzee game? Winner won the Yahtzee game. Isn't it great to know that God's kingdom, the the kingdom of of Christ will never end? Never end. I win to the very end. God, that's so good. And here's number four. Gabriel shared this in Luke chapter 1, verse 37. So after he explains to Mary how all this can take place supernaturally, He says, verse 37, for nothing, nothing will be impossible with God. I I read, a theologian wrote that that this is one of the greatest statements God ever recorded in the Bible. Of all the great scriptures that's in the Bible, this theologian said, and I believe it, this is one of the greatest statements that God ever recorded in the Bible, that nothing will be impossible for God. When Mary heard that, I can only imagine what went through her heart. Yes, all of this, all the things that we just talked about that Gabriel shared, yes, God, because of you, it is possible. It provides confidence in our lives. I looked it up in the Greek, right, so I could be smart this morning. And I want you to know there's really no translation for this. In other words, the translation says nothing will be impossible for God. Isn't that cool? What it meant in the Greek days, exactly what it means for us today that nothing will be impossible for God. Mark 10, verse 27. Looking at them, Jesus said these words, with men it is impossible, but not with God, because all things are possible with God. Jeremiah 32, verse 27 says, look, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything, anything 
too difficult for me. There in verse 34 of chapter 1 of Luke, Mary asked the angel, how can this be? How can this actually work? Angel gave his explanation. Let's think about it. Here's the angel, and he basically, Gabriel shared that God had it handled, and because of that, Jesus will be called the Son of God. In other words, the angel's telling, telling Mary, God's got it covered, right? It's done. God's got it covered. It's done. So, God's plan to save the world was this. That he would send Jesus into this world in the form of a human baby born to a virgin in a manger. Not in the Hilton, in a manger. That baby would only live 33 years and only have a ministry that lasted three years. He would save the world by dying for the world and then to be raised from the dead three days later. We say impossible. How can this be? God says it's done. It's done. The rains flooded the earth and Noah and his family needed a boat and God said, you know what? Done. Go build a boat. The Israelites were in slavery to Pharaoh in Egypt and God said, done. Free my people. The army of Pharaoh was on one side, the Red Sea on the other, and God said, done, I'll part the sea. The walls of Jericho were fortified, and God said, done, and the walls came down. Little David faced mighty Goliath, and God said, done, David, use a stone and a sling. The world needed a savior, and God said, done, I'll send my only begotten son. Our world will come to an end, and when it does, God will say, done. Go get your church, Jesus. Go get your church. For nothing, absolute nothing, is impossible with God. When you know that God can do the impossible in your life, when you absolutely know that and believe it and practice that, then God can use you for God-sized investing so that you can have a God-sized impact in this world. Because Paul wrote, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Here's Mary. She heard these words for the next 33 years of her life. She would see Jesus grow up. And I want to imagine, if I could imagine there at the cross... Those 33 years, she wanted to look back at all the things that her son had done. And I believe, just like it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 19, there after the birth that she pondered all these things. I believe there at the cross, in the midst of her tears, she pondered all these things about what Gabriel had said 33 years before. Mary, I'm for you, and God is going to be with you. His name is going to be called Jesus. His kingdom will never end. And Mary, don't ever forget that all things, all things are possible with God. One day, Mary, you're going to see your son again. One day, y'all, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're going to see Jesus again. Here's our impact point today. 
Christmas should always remind us that God's investment in us was through his son, Jesus. And because of that, we will always have hope no matter what fear, no matter what confusion or impossible odds remain in our path. Everybody hear me? No matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, Christmas is a time in our lives that we can reflect on who Jesus truly is in our lives. He came to this world to do one thing, and that was to die for you and me. He didn't come so that I could have a happy life. He didn't come so that I could have things. He didn't come so my favorite team could win. He came to do one thing and one thing only, and that was to die for our sins. There is hope in the midst of a weary world, in a struggling world, there is hope. And by the way, we carry that hope.